We come now to our sermon passage for today. We're actually doing two psalms this morning, Psalms 130 and 131. And we aren't just doing that because we've got to wrap up the summer uh, sermon series to get to the fall sermon series. 130 and 131 are actually a pair. They fit together very well. Um, they're hitting the same notes. Um, so I'll read that now. It's printed for you in your bulletin. Um, and this is the United translation. You may have a different one. That's fine. We are, have an abundance of fantastic English Bible translations. Um, it's, printed, it's printed for you there. Turn there or turn there on your phone. Psalm 130 and 131. This is God's Word. Good, beautiful, and true. A song of a sense. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. In Psalm 131, the song of the sense of David. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. That this is the instrument that you used to reveal yourself to us. That you inspired us so many years ago and that you were at work by your spirit this morning to show us the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That our hearts might uh, be won by him and that we might transform to be like him. So I pray this morning as we reflect on the words here in Psalms 130 and 131. That you would work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've, I've spoken about it a little bit this summer as we've gone through the Psalms of Ascent, Psalms 120 to 134, that they're kind of like an album, a playlist, a collection of songs in the middle of the Bible, and they're specifically written for people who are traveling through this world. At the time that they were written, they were uh, pilgrim songs. People, uh, if you were faithful to you in the time of the Old Testament, three times in a year you would go to Jerusalem for one of the festivals, for Passover, for Pentecost, for Tabernacles. While you were there, you would participate in worship. And these songs, 120 to 134, were all written for pilgrims who were traveling. They're songs that are given to give instruction along the way and encouragement. As they are leaving their Monday through, uh, well, Monday through Friday, I was going to say. But as they're leaving the ordinary motions of their life to travel to Jerusalem where they are going to hear the story of God at work in the world. Inspiration and hope for them. And as we've looked at it the last couple of weeks, we've seen a number of different things. A few weeks ago, we were in Psalm 127, and it spoke about wisdom. The wisdom of a life lived after God. Remember, that was the one, uh, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders build in vain. Living a life that values what God values and turns to the vulnerable and weak. Psalm 128, which we read two weeks ago, it's talked about true blessing. A true blessing isn't collecting a bunch of stuff that you like. True blessing is the person of God. He gives to us of Himself. And the fruit of that is us being turned toward others. The fruit of blessing and the truth of blessing is a person and people 
not just things. Last week we spoke about righteous anger. What does it look like when we see things happen in this world or things happen to us? What does it mean to be righteous in anger? To respond rightly to the wrong of our world. This morning in Psalm 130 and 131, we turn to a new topic. What happens when we mess it all up? When we don't follow God's wisdom? What happens when we fall into the trap of treasuring things over people? What happens when we're eat up with anger that is not righteous? And in fact, maybe we've mistreated someone else. What happens when we sin big? That's what Psalm 130 and 131 are about. They give us a picture of the depths, the rock bottoms of our lives, the times when we find ourselves in a mess of our own making. So we're going to break this up into a couple different sections. The first one's this, mercy in the depths. Mercy in the depths. This is not a song for perfect people, which is good news because there's no perfect people in this room. This is a song for us. It begins actually in a hopeless place. Notice it says that he is in the depths. Where this word is used elsewhere in the Old Testament actually refers to the bottom of the sea. He's reaching for this word because it is the bottom of the bottom. It's the bottom of the ocean. It's a lifeless place. It's a place of despair. A place of drowning. And we get a hint in verse 3 of how the songwriter has found himself here in the depths. Because of his own sin. He's made a mess. And he has opened his eyes to find himself at the bottom of the bottom. And he cannot find a way out of these depths. All he can do is do what he does in those first few verses. Cry out to God for mercy. He finds himself at the bottom of the bottom. And he cries out for mercy. And I think that's the first big lesson from this psalm. When we really make a mess of it, when we really sin, and sin big, I'm not talking about, you know, getting mad at somebody in traffic. I'm talking about when we really, really mess up. When we really sin, the thing to do, first thing to do, is to cry out to God for mercy. The first thing to do is not to wallow in guilt. The first thing to do is not to make yourself feel as bad as you possibly can about what you've done. The first thing to do is not to try to climb out of the depths by yourself and get as far as you can and then say, God, can you give me a help, helping hand for the rest of the way? When you have fallen into holes that you have dug, don't wait a single moment before calling out to God for mercy. Why? Because as it says in verse 4, look at it. It says, with God there's what? Forgiveness. Not condemnation, not shame. With God there is forgiveness. And then it says something remarkable. He does not keep a record of sins against us. Stop there for a second. God is all-knowing. He knows the depth of our sin even more than we do. He knows the ins and outs of it. He knows how sin has marred our hearts because He created us not to be marred by sin. He created us for flourishing and for thriving. And so God in His exhaustive knowledge knows the depth of our sin, knows how it reverberates out. And what does He do? He does not keep a record of our sins against us. He is not on a mission to build a case against us. God is not a prosecuting attorney who is building a case against us. 
And so the invitation for us is to stop doing that to ourselves. God's not building a case against us. Stop building a case against yourself. In Jesus, there's no condemnation for us. It tells us that in Romans chapter 8. God, who of all people could justly condemn us, does not. God answers our sin with mercy in Christ so that we might not remain in the depths of our sin. Now, that's not to say that the messes we make and the sins that we commit are not a big deal. Sin is the worst thing in the world. Sin against God and against others is the worst thing in the world. We can see the ruin that sin brings. We can see that in the death of Jesus, the extent that it took for God to overcome the reality of sin. But when your eyes are open to the reality of the messes that you have made, a waste a single moment trying to clean yourself up before you call out to God. He says, as it says in verse 7, an unfailing love. He has a full redemption. He has a way forward. A full redemption, not a partial redemption, not God does His part and we do our part, not God does 99% and we do 1% and that makes a full redemption. No, with God there is full redemption. Salvation is from the Lord. It is ours as a gift, not something we make happen. So there is mercy in the depths. When you find yourself in a mess that you've made, don't waste a single moment trying to clean yourself up before calling out to God for mercy. That brings me to my second section, mercy tomorrow. The anxiety of the first verses of this passage are not where we are left. If we see this song as a story that moves from one scene to another, the person who found himself in the depths in verse 1 has found God's mercy and is now established in a new role. It speaks of him as a watchman, right? A watchman waiting in the darkness for the light of dawn. A watchman waiting for the morning. Now, in the time of the song, this song, the watchman was a very important role in the city. The watchman would stay up all night. I guess he would sleep during the day, but he would stay up. The watchman's task was to watch. To watch for dangers. To watch for intruders. To watch for crimes. To watch for fires. To watch for severe weather. They were tasked with looking around in the darkness, as strange as that may seem, to see if there was anything happening that he needed to wake people up for, or anything he needed to address. And they would watch the whole night long until morning. But what does this passage mean when it says that we wait for God like the watchmen wait for the morning? I think it's this, what we read in Lamentations 3 for our call to worship, that the mercies of God are new every morning. That's what the watchman waits for. We who have been forgiven by God recognize that we will need mercy not just today in our debts, we will need mercy tomorrow. And that we will not need to make His mercy come to us. It's not God establishes us through forgiveness, not He pulls us out from the debts and gives us a, a, a blank slate and now we have to build a case for now for Him to love us. That there's mercy for yesterday, but not for today. No, the mercy of God that frees us from the depths of our sin is the same mercy that sustains us every single day. And in the same way that the watchman did not make the morning arrive, the watchman did not make that happen, and it always did arrive, we are those who will find that for every sin and every need we will have in all of our tomorrows, there will be mercy to meet us. That's the idea. That we are established as watchmen that wait for the morning. The sureness of the new mercies of God 
that will be there to meet us. Mercy sufficient for our need. Mercy from God that is always new, that is never tired and never worn out. Now to be a watchman, it may feel like we're waiting in darkness and that this time the darkness is just too deep or the depths that we find ourselves are too far down for God's mercy to find us, but that is never true. That is never true. Just the same way that the sun rose this morning and the sun's going to rise tomorrow, there's mercy to God, mercy from God for you today. There will be mercy from God for you tomorrow. And that brings me to my last section here. Grown by mercy. Grown by mercy. There's a show I love. It's on Netflix if you need to find it called Grand Designs. It's a British show. BBC Five. Not that you need to know the channel. But it's called Grand Designs. And it's this guy who goes to the most kind of elaborate house building projects that are happening in England. And he follows it from, uh, like, you know, a couple decides they're going to build a house from scratch. And they, they hire, like, the best architect they possibly can. It's in all, the houses are always incredibly expensive, millions of dollars. And he follows it from their plans until it's finished. And it's a great show. And one of the... Uh, Episodes really stuck out to me a few years ago when I first saw it. This wealthy couple decides to build their dream home. It's in Wales on the side of a cliff. There's a cliff. You know, you know if you've ever seen any British, whatever, they never miss a chance to zoom out and show you the beautiful landscape. And Wales is full of them. So they're going to build this house on the side of one of these cliffs or right there up on it. And and part of the early planning, they get an erosion expert coming out to tell them how much time they have on that plot of land before the erosion kind of is encroaching on the house and it's dangerous. Well, the erosion expert tells them the plot of land they have and the plans that they have for this house, if they build it the way they've planned, they've got 60 years. They can live there for 60 years, and then it's probably not going to be safe to live there. But this couple's in, I think, their 40s in life. They're thinking, nah, I'm not going to live to 100. We're good. Yeah. So they start building it. And they are pouring money into this house. The plans are gorgeous, of course. And then one night, a storm comes in unexpectedly. And in one night, it blasts 15 years out of that 60. One storm comes through, and it hits that cliff. And suddenly, that 60 years comes to 45. They poured millions into this house. But it was built on a foundation that was sure to give way. The house turns, and they finished the job. The house is there now. It's beautiful. It seems strong for a moment. But it is sure, absolutely sure, to collapse. That is what we are doing when we attempt to stand on our own strength. It may work for a time. What we build might look beautiful for a season. But eventually, the strength of our legs will give way. No matter how impressive this house is, there's a timetable. The storms of life might come through and not 15 years out of your, your uh, erosion plans in a night. The strength of our legs will give way. The foundation can't last. But in this passage, we get an invitation to build on the foundation of God's word, mercy. The foundation of God's mercy means we need not worry that a sudden storm will wipe it all away. We don't have to secure everything in our own power and strength. We can be contented and calmed in His care for us. We don't have to gather it all together and build it up and just cross our fingers and hope the big storms don't come through. This psalm describes us in terms 
of a weaned child with God as a nursing mother who has nourished her child from herself. A nursing mother who has given her life-giving milk from her own body to her baby. I can't think of a better image of God's nurturing care for us. He feeds us on His own life. He asks us not to go out and find it. You don't pick up a baby who is nursing and say, All right, go figure out where to get your food. Go forage for some berries or whatever. You don't say that, right? Baby doesn't make the food come to them. That's the image we get. And we mature in this. We grow in this. That's what it means when it speaks of, it speaks of us as being weaned children in 131 verse 2. Not that we'll grow to one day be a place where we don't need God's grace, but the idea is this. As we are nurtured on God's mercy, we grow. As we drink from this fountain over and over again, we mature. And that might not always be obvious to us. We're so zoomed in on our own lives, we may not see growth day to day. But we mature. His mercy finds us in our depths. It dawns upon us in our darkness so that we may grow, not our own, own power, that we may grow in His grace. So we can walk forward in life in hope that His mercy finds us, frees us, and will guide us into a new path. We can be turned toward others. Just as both of these songs end by addressing other people. Notice that both of these songs end by turning to the gathered people of Israel and saying, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. Put your hope in the Lord. Notice, a song that begins in the depths ends with the dignity of being called by God to be an announcer and a person of mercy and hope to others. And what is our announcement? What is our purpose as a church? What we have to offer to those around us is the reality of an unfailing love that has sought us out and found us in our depths. An unfailing love that isn't just unfailing in the sense that it lasts, but unfailing in the sense that it grows, it grows, and it abounds. That word for unfailing there in, a, in, in Psalm 130, it, it's the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 1, when God tells humanity to be fruitful and multiply. Be unfailing and multiply. It doesn't just mean unfailing in the sense that it's strong and it lasts. It's unfailing in the sense that it abounds. God's unfailing love isn't just a thing that endures like a rock that's so hard it's unable to be broken. It's a thing that by nature grows. It's a garden so lush that it spills over with life and fruitfulness. And that means for us as the church, we are to be the place where God's unfailing love is announced and attended to. That's what forms us. We are a people that form around the promises of God. The place where the mercy of God can be announced and experienced. The church is to be a garden whose soil is the love of God. A love so potent that it cannot help but bear fruit. And invite the hungry to feast in their hearts on a love that will not run out. For those of us who have found His mercy, we are meant to turn. And rooted in this unfailing and abounding love, we are meant to turn toward others in love. Calling them to place their hope in the sure mercy of God. And so as I close, I want to say this. It does not matter how deep the depths you've experienced are. It does not matter. 
the, the, the depth of the holes that your own selfishness has dug or the bottoms that you found yourself in. At the bottom, at the darkest place, you can call on mercy from God and find it. He will give it to you. And if there's any doubt, we can see this through the way that God has come to us in Jesus. His commitment to chase us to the very bottom of our depths. Jesus took on flesh and became one of us. Imagine that the Son of God becoming a human being. And He faced and experienced the depths of shame and rejection and humiliation. He experienced the depths of judgment against our sin at the cross. He experienced the depths of the very bottom, death. And He was stored away, tossed away like refuse into a tomb. But he went to the very bottom of the depths so that we might know that there is no pit so deep that his mercy cannot find us and set us free. The bottom has a bottom. The bottoms that we dig have a limit. But the heights of God's mercy do not. They're boundless. The good news of the gospel is this. That in Jesus we are not thrown into the depths because of our sin. But that God has cast our sins into the very depths of the sea. As it says in Micah chapter 7 verse 19. And we are lifted by God's grace without the weight of our sin on our shoulders. Because it's been removed and cast upon the shoulder and dealt with in Jesus. The gospel tells us that the darkness of our world is real but that it will end. And then as sure as the sunrise puts an end to the night, the mercy of God will dawn on all of our darknesses. That was the resurrection of Jesus. Which is the assurance to us that if God did not finally forsake His only begotten Son, He will not and cannot forsake His adopted sons and daughters either. That's our assurance. So whatever comes tomorrow, God's mercy will be there with us. And God's mercy will be enough. He does not... Leave us to despair. He does not leave us simply to reap what we sow. He interrupts by His grace so that we, in a world filled with our depths and our darknesses, can be a people of hope. Because with our God, with our God, there is an unfailing love now and forevermore. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the glory of the gospel. There's no message like it in all the world. Not good advice for how we can become people, uh, nice and kind, good citizens. Gospel is an announcement of a victory that you have won for, for us. I thank you for your unfailing love. I thank you for the forgiveness that you have for us. That you do not keep a record of sins against us. But you abound with unfailing love toward us. With you there is full redemption. So Lord I pray that you would help us. To cast ourselves upon the sureness of your mercy. That we would not waste a single moment. Wrapped up in guilt or shame about what we've done. But that we would call out to you now. And find you present. And ready to give us your grace now. And that you would encourage us in our hearts. To know that whatever may come tomorrow. Mercy will come as sure as the sun rises. That we are saved and kept and held by your grace, by your love for us. Seal this to our hearts, God. Speak it to us in our times of desperation. And when we find ourselves in the bottoms, let us find your mercy that does not let us go. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.